Hey, what are you pod listeners? We're back. And for those of you who are new, we are a podcast that explores aspects of race and identity through a biracial and multiracial lens. I'm your co-host, Paula Thomas, and I'm joined here with my brother, Mr. Stacy Thomas. What's up, y'all? So, Stace, what's going on? A lot's going on. A lot is going on in the world, but wanted to take this time and at least I need time Mm -hmm. to process the events that took place in Buffalo where a mass shooter specifically targeted black folks at a supermarket. Yeah, when I first heard the news, I'll be honest, I, I, I didn't really research it at that moment. I just couldn't go there, you know, and put myself emotionally in that space. And as I've learned more details since then, yeah, it, it met my expectation of how terrible it was. Yeah, I, I saw the headline when it first scrolled across. I think I was on social media all over the weekend. And I kind of like, okay, I don't really want to deal with this right now. Mm-hmm. So I had some avoidance of it. And I have talked to some other black folks and they have expressed the same sentiment where they still haven't even messed with it. They still mm. haven't even, they're like, I just can't deal with it. That's just too much. That's too traumatic. That hurts. Like, I don't, they were saying, I don't really want to do that. Yeah, that's really, really tough. Uh, for those of you, I'm sure many of you know that about, I think, 10 to 11 people were were killed at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, which I believe Buffalo is like, like the second or third biggest city in New York state, high population of black people. By the way, that was the uh, only grocery store in that area, in that neighborhood. So it was already, you know, economically disadvantaged with, you know, being a food desert prior to that grocery store. And so obviously, I mean, we all go to the grocery store, let's just be honest. So obviously the community was using that um, business and would be there. And to be targets for this hate crime. Yeah, unfortunately, hearing that that supermarket is a food desert is not surprising, unfortunately. Yeah. If not equally saddening. And of course, this is where people are trying to get food, basically, to sustain themselves and to be with family and friends. Uh, something that's very common that a lot of folks meet up in this this neighborhood supermarket. And, you know, I talked to some other black folks about it, you know, just I'm, again, I'm doing this to process for me personally. Yeah, we all are. But also trying to give space to some other black colleagues that I work with. And one of the things they they said was, I, I didn't even know that happened until like after the weekend, until just like yesterday, mm-hmm. um, a, a couple days later. And they said they weren't trying to avoid the news. They were just so caught up in their actual day to day life, whether it's their their job or their 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 families, their their children, things like that. That for them to even hear about this tragedy, mm-hmm. this terrorist attack, like they didn't even. It took them a while. It was like delayed. Right. It, was, it did. They didn't like hear it right away and like immediately digest like information. Mm-hmm. They were just so in. Out there living their lives. They're living a, a whole life that's super filled and busy. And mm-hmm. then to take in this other information and have room for that in the process was 
difficult. Now they, I mean, of course, now they know, but right. like it, it took a couple days. So I, I definitely think we should take every tragedy, mass shooting, hate crime, racial motivated murders to heart. But why do you think it is that, you know, this, you know, obviously not, not all of our listeners live in Buffalo, right? Uh, we don't. So why should we be caring about this story that your black coworkers, you know, again, who don't live in the, that community had a, an emotional response or some avoidance or whatever around this? I don't know how much people really understand how much we as black people, people identify as black, feel a connection to one another, even if we don't know them. Right. And that's sometimes hard for other people who don't have black as part of their identity to completely get. Uh, for black people, I mean, we might have mentioned on this pod before, being black is an important aspect of us as, as, as people. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the case for other people with other backgrounds. Right, right. Like, it's not maybe as important for a person that is Asian to identify as Asian. That's not necessarily as big a part of their identity. It is for black people, like, in America. Right. Like, it's really big. Right. And we are a, a community, right. right, across the country. Uh, we have a shared history and a shared bond. And we care about what happens when we see a community like Buffalo, I, I don't think that it would be hard for any black person to know that neighborhood and be like, okay, I got a picture of, of, of where that is. Yeah, that is. we we have this connection. Like even again, that's on the other side of the country for us. Like we're in California, and I feel deeply affected by those events. Mm-hmm. And I know we got flack for this. this. Is the same thing I think that Obama said when the tragedy of Trayvon Martin happened. Mm-hmm. And he said, like, that could have been me or that could have been my son. And then that's actually a turning point where I think particularly white folks turned on Obama. <laughs> you know, they didn't really like him saying that. Mm. He lost support for siding with a murdered slain teen right. who was killed in his own neighborhood for um, just walking. A murdered black slain teen. That's right. Who had a hoodie on. Mm-hmm. He said it could have been him. For him, it seemed like he was siding against law enforcement and being black, but... It was personal to him. It was personal, exactly. That's what I would say. Like it's a con- It was a connection that he had, mm-hmm. and he was vocalizing that. And I would say the same thing in this instance. Like We, as black people, are caring about this, because even though we don't know those people, we know that situation, and we still have that... Um, we're still in a, a community in this larger country, in this narrative. How mm-hmm. we got to this country is a larger narrative, and we feel connection to that. Another thing that another thing that really got to me about this story, about this Buffalo story, but the shooter who I don't even know his name and I'm not going to repeat his name on our pod. Don't need to. Uh, follow this sort of replacement theory, this idea that mm-hmm. people of color are going to be out here replacing white people. And we can get into a little bit of that later, but it, it one of the things that just really reminded me of is just terrorizing people, domestic terror. And we think back on our country, the controlling black bodies. And after the Civil War, when the KKK rose, like what was their whole job? Like what was the whole role that they were trying to do? What was their, what were they trying to do over black people was to subjugate them and keep them in this very narrow lane of what they could and could not do, what they could and could not say, what parts of society were acceptable for them to be in. And this, they weren't law enforcement. I mean, people 
within the clans could have been in law enforcement, but they were just basically a lawless group, a mob that could terrorize, lynch, um, and subjugate black people. And black people didn't have any recourse. And so I think about that as this, as we, as we go through and we have, obviously we had that mass shooting in a Charleston church where nine people were dead. Um, we think about um, the El Paso shooting, which killed, which is a very similar scenario, but the targets were, you know, Mexican Americans. Twenty three people were killed in that. That killer too also talked about replacement theory. We t- um, we also look at shootings, although it's slightly different, but just shows you what our society is at. Those killings of those Asian women in that Georgia salon, you know. It's this idea too, I don't know, you know, primaries are going and elections are starting to ramp up for the midterms in November. And you see all these ads from the right and they're all brandishing their guns, you know, and their kids and whatever, but mostly they're featuring these guns. And I was trying to think to myself, like, why do they keep showing all these guns? And I, and I just keep thinking back, it's to intimidate. And we talked about before about Kyle Rittenhouse, um, who's a shooter in Kenosha and they walked around with his... AR-15 rifles, and they're there to intimidate. They're there to terrorize. And I just felt like this story with Buffalo was just another example of terrorization that is being on Black people, specifically in this case, but other people of color. I also don't want to forget, too, that that whole shooting, mass shooting at that synagogue, I think, out in Pennsylvania. I mean, in, we also, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and we also had, you know, a mass shooting in that LGBT club in Florida, like it, it's terror. I guess that's all I want to say. Yeah, it's terror. And I think it's very astute of you to point out ads, political ads, particularly from the right about having guns under the guise of law and order, keeping peace, mm-hmm. those type of thing. And what really it is, is a way for you to be a vigilante and take matters into your own hands. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what the shooter did in Buffalo. The person was radicalized over the internet, going into CD chats like 4chan, etc. And you're right, Paula. Looked at replacement theory, which is prominent in Europe as well as here in the U.S. There's this fear. It's all driven by fear of that white people will not have a certain level in society. Mm-hmm. They won't have a certain social uh, hierarchy that they feel like they deserve. Right. And that's being threatened by people of color, Jews, etc. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that social hierarchy, Stace. I've been listening to some talks with Isabel Wilkerson, who is the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who wrote the book, The Warmth of Other Suns, which is about the Great Migration, which is the biggest movement of people in the U- in U.S. history is the Great Migration of about 6 million African-Americans out of the South and into the, the North and the Midwest and, and into the West. And of course, that's the story of our family as well. Our family is from Louisiana. And then she wrote a book after that to paint a bigger picture, clearer picture of what those those six million black people were actually fleeing from. And terror, which is what we're talking about too, is part of that. But also that, 
you know, when America was constructed, we had a very rigid caste system in which everybody had, you know, their, uh, their lane, right? And that dictated, you know, how those different people and different castes and, and hierarchy levels interacted with each other. It determined what kind of resources and education people would receive. And so we see that any time that Black people are seen as getting out of their lane, and this could be for other marginalized groups as well, then there is a backlash to it. And I think if we if we look at it through the lens of history, I mean, we could see that you know, after the Civil War, during Reconstruction, right, Black people were newly freed and they started to register to vote and try to, you know, be part of the local government and get some schools open for their kids and themselves. And then we had the backlash of uh, the Ku Klux Klan rose at that time. And what was their whole purpose was to, as we said before, was to keep uh, Black people in their lane and not get ahead of their skis, And we could see that anytime Black people got a little bit of wealth or prosperity, we could, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma and the massacre there is a great example. And so then you have the civil rights movement and then Obama gets in office. And then here we are in another backlash. I mean, they're all mad at Black people. They're all saying, you know, you're a critical race theory and, you know, they're out there banning books and they're out there mad because they think Black people are like telling them what they can and can't say because we're telling them that their proud history of the Confederate South is actually terrible, right? And because getting a gun is so easy in our country, take a look at Kyle Rittenhouse, who was underage in a different state, <laughs> you know, got, got, you know, had an illegal gun, killed two people, totally free, right? Because of this access, they, people are more easily able to enact that terror onto people. And it's some scary stuff. It's not unique. So this person got radicalized over the internet, Mm -hmm. but what people, some people have been pointing out is you can hear these ideas mainstream. You can hear this stuff on Fox news or Mm -hmm. AN like and Fox news has a really big viewership Yeah, and they're not calling it replacement theory outright. But they are talking about how immigration policies are out of control and Mm -hmm. and other people are for open borders and they're going to take your spot in society or your jobs, etc. That's the kind of stuff that you hear. Um, Sometimes I've heard outright some hosts say like Browning of America, things like that, or Mm -hmm. or unclean, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. So what I would say is, even though he got radicalized on some extreme stuff on the internet, the shooter at Buffalo, that stuff is mainstream now. Mm-hmm. It's not like that's, oh, that's just fringe and like that's just that. That's No, this is actually uh, a lot of the talking points for the right. And why is it talking points for the right? It's because Fox News is such a big uh, tool. So a lot of politicians, leaders, are taking their cues from what they're hearing from some of the hosts. Mm-hmm. It's scary stuff. It's because it's frightening because if you think if you look at what's what the outcome could be, it is really frightening. I also wonder, too, there's this whole idea of replacement theory. And again, I don't know a ton about it. I'll just be really honest. I just point where I, I just can't go down that rabbit hole right now. I think I kind of got the gist of it, especially to what you're saying, States. I think you described it pretty well. But I guess my question is, is like, yes, they this idea that 
people of color or marginalized groups are making gains. And yet I wonder like what the, I just wonder, I guess, psychologically what the biggest fear is. Like, so they lose some power. That's what they think. What do they think is going to happen to them? I wonder if they think that people of color might treat them as badly as they've treated them. I don't think that's going to be true, but I wonder that. I don't know. I don't know. It's just some of it is I'm acting on fear and that's enough without making me think rationally. Mm. You know, it's not a fear like I'm scared of being in a car accident, so I'm going to put on a seatbelt. That's psychological. Like they're just acting on a fear of white people losing their place in what they think is a social hierarchy where they belong on the top what will happen to them. They they actually don't know. Okay. Yeah, and there's also this idea that this stuff is being orchestrated by elites. What's being orchestrated by elites? The opening borders for immigration or giving rights or allowing people of color to have access. Oh, this is from the right, you're saying? Yes, yes. So they... They have this idea that the elites are creating these things. Yes. Ah. Yes. Okay. So there's a cabal of people okay. who are deciding these things. Sounds like some Illuminati talk right there. Of course it is. Of course it is. But it works because for some of them, they kind of believe like you have some modicum of like what they've already kind of thought. And then mm. like, yeah, it seems a little far to have like, you know, this conspiracy laid on. But when anything affirms what you already feel, maybe already, even if you haven't vocalized it can start to take root mm-hmm. and it can grow and fester. By the way, I just, I, this argument about the, the left being elites, like, granted, there are some uh, elitist people on the left, but I would say they're mostly on the right. I mean, uh, Ted Cruz, Joss Hawley, these are all like Ivy League people. Like, uh, what's that? Tucker Carlson is like a frozen food heir. I, you know, and people get mad at like, uh, AOC. She was like a bartender. So they don't equate that. So even 45 is an elite. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But totally. that's not, that's not what they see. They hear their talking points. Okay. Some of it is, and I do, not that I'm saying I agree with the right, but culturally the United States has definitely become more progressive. Mm-hmm. Like what you see in, 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 in movies and TV and in music and the arts definitely reflect a broad group of people right as art does yes and some of those ideas are just like more mainstream than they were before and that's where some people on the right feel like they've lost ground so even if they have maybe more power in governmentally they feel like they're behind in the cultural war so in order to remedy that, we're going to pick on the, some of the most vulnerable among us, which like trans kids, I just, yeah, you gotta, I hear you. You, you got to protect sports. You got to protect sports, oh Paul. You got to protect just let these kids like, like young people's sport. I don't know. It's, play the game. It's, it's, it's fine. Well, you're looking at people determining who does and doesn't have rights. Right. And again, usually the people who do have rights are white heterosexual males in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we see that women could be the next target if Roe v. Wade, the abortion law, is overturned by the Supreme Court. 
But we will have more on that in our next episode, so stay tuned. So Stace, where do we want to end on how we feel about this whole Buffalo thing? I know we didn't get into all the details. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning, like this is just for me at least to process. Mm -hmm. I don't have answers. I, I don't have answers of like how we should be feeling or what the call to action is. I mean, we'll do our normal call to action that we always do a lot of times on this pod is which we need to vote, especially in these primaries coming up, whether that's like you look at um, where our representatives, how they feel about gun laws, et cetera, or, or, or realizing patterns, how anytime there is a white male shooter, it's always mental health. Mm. But then when it's a person of color, if they're from Muslim descent, they're like a terrorist. If they're black, then they're like a threat. Even if they were just holding a phone in their hand, they're a criminal. And I just heard uh, on the news today from this black woman in Buffalo about the shooting was saying, you know, do we come into your neighborhoods and shoot up your churches? Do we come into your neighborhoods and shoot up your grocery stores? I think... We have to be really realistic about who is doing the terrorizing. And I think what that does to the black community as we talk about us as a whole, like what does that say about us doing our day-to-day -day lives, right? No matter where we are, you know, we're all going to be at the grocery store again at one point in our lives, right? Probably this week. That's why we add WB after everything. I'm walking down the street while black. I'm doing grocery shopping while black. I'm driving my car while black. Mm -hmm. because there's consequences for us in everyday lives that people from other backgrounds might not totally see and understand. And it, and it might be easy for people who don't have black as part of their background to like ignore the shooter mm -hmm. because maybe they have options where they can go grocery shopping or maybe they don't look like that person or they're, they're mm -hmm. not concerned. But there's a lot of black folks that, yeah, it might make you like look over your shoulder a little bit mm -hmm. or like maybe be wary of someone that you really shouldn't have. You know, it's that extra layer of I have to be vigilant and on guard all the time mm -hmm. while being black. And you would hope while you're grocery shopping, that's not one of the times you have to be vigilant. But as we hear all these stories, whether it's these shootings or other events like, oh, I guess you do. Mm -hmm. And over time, that, that weathers. We've actually seen that that's caused lower life expectancies for black people mm -hmm. in the U.S. because of, they call it weathering. Like dealing with this all the time, you're not going to live as long. Mm. It's emotionally and spiritually taxing. Yes. And, and physically taxing. Mm -hmm. ah, yeah, you're right. And I think about that grocery store in Buffalo, like that's the only grocery store in town for them. They still have to go back there after it reopens, knowing that people in their community, their neighbors, their friends were killed there. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I couldn't do that. I know I had the privilege of going to Memphis, where the National Civil Rights Museum is. Mm -hmm. And the National Civil Rights Museum is actually built out of the Lorraine Hotel, where Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm -hmm. So you can actually go to the actual spot where Martin Luther King was assassinated. Oh, wow. So I did that, and I was like, feelings were coming up for me. Mm -hmm. Granted, this happened... Like decades, know, yeah. Yeah, decades, 40, four, over 40 years, 40 years ago, and I'm kind of like, my body is telling me, like, this is really, really hard to deal with mm -hmm. because this affects me even this 
many years, like you pointed out, Paula, decades later, mm-hmm. I'm still playing. So for folks to go immediately within this week to go grocery shopping, and they're like, I, I, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could do that. <sighs> yeah. And this is a community that I'm sure doesn't have the option to DoorDash or get their you know, Amazon Whole Food deliveries to them. So they're limited in this community on where they can buy groceries. And so from our family to the community out in Buffalo, just know that our hearts are with you and we are thinking of you. All right, Stacy. Thanks so much. No, thank you for allowing me to process. I really needed this space. Mm-hmm. Again, like I said, I don't have any answers, but I just needed this to be able to vocalize and put some things into some space and you and the listeners are holding that space for me. So I appreciate that. Thanks so much. What are you pod listeners? You're the best. Thank you. What are you pod listeners for joining us for another episode? If you would like to contact us, please email us at whatareyou1619 at gmail.com. And also feel free to follow us on Instagram at whatareyoupod. Yes, and you can find us on all your platforms in which you get your podcasts, including Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. And if you are hearing us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave a review or give us some five stars if you like what you're hearing on this episode. I'm Paula Thomas. And I'm Stacy Thomas. Stay safe and healthy. Spooky Calavera on the beat, y'all. Ooh.